Welcome to The Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC, and I have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management. If you've been listening and like what you're hearing, head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message. Enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, and I am so excited for a little bit different, but definitely health-oriented conversation today uh, with Kimberly Gardner. We're going to be talking about how our environment impacts ourselves and impacts our health and sense of well-being. And Kimberly has made this her mission and her purpose. She works with epigenetics, neuroscience, and how we align with the interior architecture of our mind, how we align the interior architecture of our mind with the interior architecture of our home. She helps to create synergy between our homes and our desires, values, and intentions. Kimberly has created a school for individuals and holistic practitioners to implement this process for themselves and support their clients. So we spend so much time talking about what's going on inside you know, our body, Let's take some time to talk about what's going on in the environment outside. So Kimberly, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me here, Carly. I'm excited to jump in there with you. I can tell this can be a fun conversation because we just get on the phone with each other and and it just starts flying already. (laughs) (laughs) So give us a little bit of your background of to how you come to this process of looking at interior design for the well-being and health of your clients. Well, it's been sort of a, a, a slow growth process. It started in my early 20s where I had my first sort of like life crisis and really started digging into the self and trying to make sense of things. And uh, my teacher at the time introduced me to this book called A Pattern Language written by Christopher Alexander, which really looked at the patterns that cultures over time have shared in how they create their living spaces and and how arrangement of walls and furnishings affects how we feel. And so that was in my early 20s. And so that was sort of the seed. And and then since then, um, it was sort of a hobby for me to create these living spaces on on paper that that seemed to feel good. And it just evolved. I was looking for a course of study where I could really get into this and I couldn't find anything. And so I just pulled different um, schools of thought that fascinated me and and it's turned into this. Um, so I'm really excited to share. I love it. And, and this is the sort of thing, I mean, like all things where we look at in our health now, there's nothing new under the sun because we have ancient traditions going back however many centuries. When we talk about feng shui and we talk about orienting ourselves to the rising of the sun in these different places, how we orient ourselves within our environment is a, in a sense, a cultural staple that we, in our modern worlds of, you know, grid structures and cities and what have you, we really feel, seem to have drifted away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think 
it's innate within us, right? Mm -hmm. So we can all walk into a space and we may not be able to identify why this feels Mm -hmm. so good, but we walk into certain spaces and it's like, oh my gosh, this feels so good. And we'll go into other spaces and this feels horrible. I just want to get out. And we don't know why, but there are patterns and there are reasons why it feels that way. And so once we recognize what that is, Mm -hmm. it sort of opens our eyes to to a new way of experiencing our space and having control and having some tools for making our space work for us and our well-being and our, our goals and our desires. Can you give us kind of a 101 about what we are instinctively scanning a room or a house for when we have that feeling of, or yes, I want to stay here? Yeah, for sure. So there are three different levels. And so the first level we're talking about is the primal level. Okay. So when we first walk into a space, our brain instinctively wants to know where the exits, right? So if you're going to walk into a cave, you assume that the only way in and out is right where you just walked through. And so when we go into a space, we want to know where our exit is. So like when you walk into a jail cell, you have a different visceral experience than if you were going to walk inside of a huge cathedral or temple. So Mm -hmm. on a primal level, that's what we're feeling. And it's not just how do I get out of here, but that's, that's one example. Mm -hmm. Um, An example of a space that feels really good is like if a room has windows on two different sides Um, that's going to feel a lot better than walking into a room that only has windows on one side. Mm -hmm. Because you have that space and that expansion. Yeah. And so it's, it's like being, being outside versus being inside and having that connection to the outdoors. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And so what's the, what's the next level to go into then? So after primal, we have universal, and this is what this teaches us or informs us how we're supposed to behave in this space. So if we see a sink in a room and a fire, we know is probably the kitchen. Mm-hmm. If we see a table with chairs around it, we know that's the dining room. So we know how to behave based on what we're observing in the environment. When we go into a library, we know, okay, I need to be quiet in this space. Mm-hmm. And so it's, how do I function in this space so that I belong in this space with others instead of like the primal, it's just about me and my survival. And then the universal, it's more about how, how do I function in this society and how do I behave so that I belong here? And I think this is an interesting, uh, you know, kind of side note to go on is that we talk a lot about our behavior, you know, really being, um, we, it is so important for us to be part of our community. We don't survive as humans solo outside of a community well at all. I mean, excommunication, exile are two of the, the worst things that can happen. And so we see how um, systems of language and shame can create those behaviors and those patterns to keep us within community. But we also pick up on a lot of environmental cues. And to do, it's kind of a blinding flash of the obvious that we're not going to slow down to think about. It's like, oh yeah, I wouldn't take a nap in the kitchen. Or if I did, my family would sure have something to say about it. Yeah. Or you may not be resting as well. You know, Mm -hmm. like, sure, put a pillow on the floor and sleep in your kitchen. Mm -hmm. 
how well are you going to sleep? <laughs> because that's not where we're primed to be. And I think we'll talk about this a little bit later as we talk about neuroscience and epigenetics, but to file this idea of a way of, okay, in this last year of pandemic, how many people are working from home? And of course, this comes with the acknowledgement of all of our home structures are very different. You know, not all of us have a dedicated home office. You know, some of us are in a studio apartment and it is what it is. If we are lucky enough to still have our homes, I mean, so many people, you know, ended up on the street in the last year. But when we get the advice about not doing your work, not doing your homework or taking your computer into your bed where you are meant to sleep, that changes the environment, that changes the use of the space. And all of this applies to that kind of universal aspect of how is the space meant to be used and what is our body picking up on there? Yeah. And it's interesting you say body because Mm -hmm. it's our home is very much the same thing as our body. You know, we have mm-hmm. certain organs that operate in certain ways and they all have to work together. And our home is very much the same way. Each room has a specific function and it has to integrate with the rest of the house so that the whole, which is us, can be <laughs> supported properly. And that goes for whatever size or shape your home is. We have certain functions that need to be made. Same thing with our bodies. My body does not look like your body, but we all, we have the same equipment to get things done. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then what's that third level? That's personal. So (laughs) it's our personal story. It's what we want. And so, um, you know, a lot of my work relates to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so this is our desires. This is what we want for ourselves. And so when we walk into our home, this is our personal style. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't impose that when we go into a bank or a library, you know, we let that function um, outside of us. But with our home, this is where we get to add our personal experience. And mm-hmm. with that, um, going back to like the public spaces, your experience of a bank and my experience of a bank are probably they have some similarities, but I might have memories or things that come up that influence how I feel when I walk in there. I might have Mm -hmm. certain memories that are either positive or negative. And so all of these sort of like swim together as we're navigating during our day in different places in our environment. And so when we're looking at all these areas in our environment, um, that primal looking at safety and, you know, our ability to get back to the outside world, the universal of how we behave, how we organize the space and exist within it. And then that personal touch, the real comfort pieces of it. How on earth does this have anything to do with our own health and sanity? Well, so if you look at, if you walk into your home and there's piles of laundries on the sofa (laughs) and the dishes haven't been done, um, when you walk in your house, it's not going to feel good, right? Mm -hmm. So there's these things that you have to do. And so what happens is there are feedback loops and the feedback loop begins with something in our physical environment. And so we are made with our five senses to take in our environment and in an instant, our brain can assess what's going on. And so Mm -hmm. it does it on the primal level first. Am I safe? And on the universal level, how do I behave here? And do I feel good here? Do I like it? And so, like I said, within a fraction of a second, 
our five senses pick up cues in our physical environment Mm -hmm. and it correlates to a memory that's we may be aware of, we may not be aware of, but somewhere in this data bank of our brain, there's a correlated memory that's associated with that five sense, those Mm -hmm. five senses. And that memory triggers a thought and that thought triggers a feeling. Mm -hmm. And then it rolls into our moods, our behaviors, our patterns, our routines, our habits. And ultimately, especially within our home, because these thoughts are so habitual mm-hmm. and they're set within, in our, within our space, it impacts our personality, which impacts how we experience our life. It impacts our perspective. Mm-hmm. So our, our home holds so much potential. It could either wreak havoc up here or it could really open up a lot of opportunity. It really is that, and quite literally, the, the launching pad. I, I'm reminded of a metaphor that one of my mentors like to use. Um, she's a, a big space nerd, and she liked to watch all the, the rocket launches. And from that launch pad, if you are a fraction of a degree off in your trajectory and all of the math it takes you to get there, then by the time that rocket has been launched out into space, it's going to be missing its target. It's going to be missing Mars by hundreds of thousands of millions and miles and miles and miles. And so in that same way that you talk about the home as this launch pad, if I'm in a home and I've had, um, we talked about this a little bit before, and I'm happy to use myself as an example, but I had a very lovely house. It was a very beautiful modern house in a very hip modern part of Denver. And it was not my launch pad. It was not my home. And so those little things start to send us off in a little bit of trajectory of not quite right until that not quite right lands on something that you would think is not even close to being associated with it. It's that rollout. (laughs) So true. It's so true. It's these tiny little things that you don't think would make a difference. Mm -hmm. And you know, for anyone who's listening, who's like, yeah, I don't think all the things in my my house make that big of a difference. I'm just like, I've had clients who are like, you know, I hear what you're saying, but mm-hmm. I'm not really attached to my place in that same way. Well, um, if a picture on the wall is crooked, mm-hmm. you notice, right? Mm-hmm. And it kind of bugs you. You want to put it straight. And that's the way our brain works. Like mm-hmm. if you walk into a space and you smell smoke, there are no more priorities. You're going to figure out what is causing the smoke. Mm-hmm. And so um, if we walk into a home and we see a picture of ourselves, that it's a lovely picture of everyone else in the picture, but that picture happens to remind us of a time in our life that we weren't that happy. Mm-hmm. Every time we see that picture, whether we consciously recognize it, there is a feedback loop that's starting to play. And mm-hmm. so our home is full of these objects that hold these feedback loops that affect how we feel. And we see this show up. I mean, the whole idea, the whole concept of taking everything out of our closets off of our walls and holding each one and saying, does this spark joy or not? Skip the brand name here, but the basic Uh idea of does this bring joy or does it not is again, getting to that really basic level of, am I filling my home 
does my home need to be filled for one? But am I filling my home with things that fill me with a sense of obligation and dread and bad memories? Or am I surrounding myself by by beauty and joy, things that spark happiness within myself? And how can we multiply that um, to make the start and end and middle of our days better? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, you know, the the concept of a vision board. Mm-hmm. Our home is our living vision board. Yeah. yeah. And if we have a house of clutter, it's like just gluing a bunch of stuff that we don't want for ourselves on top of our beautiful vision board. And so like literally our home is our living vision board mm-hmm. and every aspect of our space is speaking something to us. Um, and so what I like about this is this isn't about needing to do uh, thousands of dollars of home remodel and bringing in chic high-end furniture and the most comfortable plushy fabrics. Um, this That is really just putting a fancy Band-Aid on top of perhaps a lack of awareness to what you actually want in your house. So what's what's the real process of getting into this is what's going to fill me with joy? Well, so... Um... So my whole thing is, you know, the the filling with joy is fabulous. Mm -hmm. And it's, is this, yeah, is my home in alignment? Is my home and is my, my mind, my subconscious and conscious mind, are they both in alignment with my values and my desires and my intentions? Oh, thank you for, thank you for that correction. I just want to call that out that it's so much better than simple joy because that is a, a momentary feeling versus this sense of alignment. So if I could go back and renege my language, I would. I know, it's totally fine. On with yours. You know, it's all on the same thread, right? Yeah. Like, like one of my big things is follow what feels good mm-hmm. and get curious about what doesn't. Like we, our feelings are our navigation system for this mm-hmm. life. Like it's really important that we acknowledge what we're feeling and mm-hmm you know, chasing after joy and tracking joy is awesome. Um, So yeah, like it's all on the same spectrum. But when you talk to this living with the values and alignment and talking about the home, so tell us more about where that conversation begins and where it can take you. With as far as, um, as far as how our homes can, we asked me the question again, just so I make sure I answer it and don't yeah. go off some like other <laughs> tangent. I love other <laughs> tangents. Um, no, so it's about when we look at, okay, maybe there is more that I can do within my home. Maybe there's more that I want to do within my home. What does that process start to look like? What's, what's at that foundation of what's important when we start to view our environments this way? Okay, so you'll like this because this is very similar to medicine. Um, first, do no harm. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so foundational is we want to get rid of the obstacles in our space. And not just our space, we want to address the obstacles in our entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, one, we get clear about what we want. What are my values? What are my intentions? What are my desires? And then what's getting in my way? And when it comes to our home, you know, we can call it clutter. Mm -hmm. And what is clutter? 
Clutter is anything that we don't use. So it's that function piece, anything we don't use, anything we don't love, <laughs> and anything that doesn't support our intentions, our desires, and our values. And so, and it takes a discerning eye because some things we're so accustomed to, we don't ask like, okay, we don't ask those questions. The other thing is to recognize is sometimes when we're doing this sort of like um, private investigation or you know, detective work on, okay, do I like this? Does it support my goals? And um, does it make me feel good? We run into things that were gifts. Or we run into things that we feel like we need to keep. And, and it really comes down to if it doesn't make you feel good. So here's another thing. Toxic clutter is anything in our home that brings up a negative feeling, memory, or thought. If we have any toxic clutter in our house, it needs to go no matter what. And it could go in a different room. I mean, it can go like in a basement or a garage or a storage unit. But toxic clutter is like visual poison for our subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. And so that's really important that we first do no harm and get <laughs> the clutter out of our house. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's really important to bring that up because so many things are gifts or are attached to memories. And it can come with this point of feeling selfish. I mean, say that picture where everyone looks amazing, it's a family photo, and you love all the people in the photo. But at that time, you know, you're not loving yourself, or it was an event where you felt somehow excluded or, or not, it's not a good memory, even if it, those are good people. You know, if there's any time to be selfish, it is when you are in your own home. I mean, you can't get to a place where it's more important for you to put you first than in the place where you go to rest and recover. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you bring up a word that I, um, I've started poking holes in mm -hmm. and that's selfish. And I think, a lot of us were raised to not be selfish, not be selfish. And I personally want to flip that upside down because I feel like too many times we were raised to put other people before ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've ever been on an airplane with a smile child, they tell you, <laughs> put your mask on yourself first and then put it on your child. Like there's a reason why we're supposed to take care of our needs first. And it's because if we don't take care of our needs, then we're of no use to anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so I personally encourage all of us to be more self-ish. <laughs> a little more ishy on myself. What does myself want right now? <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> so, so after do no harm and this, albeit big ask to get rid of things that are dripping with obligation and bad feelings, um, what what comes next in this approach to creating home? Well, so you know, there's there's a huge so there's a there's a detailed system mm -hmm. and. I will say, so I'll go to the other end of the spectrum mm -hmm. and we want our home to hold the things. This is sort of back to the sparking joy, but we want our home to hold the things and to reflect the things that remind us of who we are and of what we want in the life we're creating and the things that we love about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so 
have making sure there's nothing in our home that's contrary to what we want and making sure that the things in our home are speaking to whatever, whatever our desires are, whatever our life mission statement is. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And you know, the, and that's the thing as we evolve and grow, our space is going to change with us. You know, when you, um, I don't know if you've had this experience, but when you go to someone's house, who's much older, like a grandparent, Mm -hmm. their house never changes. (laughs) <laughs> their life doesn't change that much. You know, they're, they're creatures of habit for the most part. Like that's not true with everyone, but I know with the older people in my life, everything in their home was in a particular order and their, their home didn't change much because their life wasn't changing that much. Mm-hmm. So, but as we're, and if we want to instigate a change, changing something in our space is a really great way to do that because when we change something in our home, we're sending a message to our subconscious. that's like, Hey, everything's different here. Mm-hmm. We're not the same. Get back on your toes. Cause we're changing things. So home is really a great platform for instigating whatever, whatever we want to do with our life. I like to think of it as kind of a living organism in a way. You know, I, I sometimes think about my home. I, I sit and imagine a room or imagine the first floor in kind of that fast forward reel, you know, when everybody's kind of popping in and out and the furniture's moving all around the place and we see, you know, three years over the course of, you know, five minutes. And it does create this life and this change. And I think about, again, as we all went into our homes over this last year, you know, my, my daughter stayed home for about nine months. Um, and we had, you know, different kinds of childcare and that's a whole nother story, but we immediate, I at least (laughs) immediately looked around the home and said, how can we make this work? Because now instead of having two working professionals who leave the house and a child who leaves the house and a home, we come back to, to rest in the evening, we now have a working professional who is working from home. Um, I took two months off, <laughs> took two months off of work. I wasn't able to work for two months because I touched <laughs> people for a living and I became a stay at home mom. And I had to be a stay at home caregiver for this kid who was going to be there with me. And so we spent a weekend rearranging everything in our house. We didn't buy anything new. I, I bought some craft supplies. That's not true. But we didn't buy new furniture and change a whole bunch of things. We just reordered how the space was going to support the life we had now. The home changed and was an organism with us. It was a member of the family almost. Yeah, it's there. And yeah, it's we we do have a relationship with our home. Mm-hmm. And our home has a relationship with us too. Like mm-hmm. if... And this is a fascinating exercise, but if you sit on the couch or, you know, sit in your living room or wherever you would have a special guest Mm -hmm. and you have a quiet moment and you just tune in and see what the house like has to say, (laughs) or, you know, like I've done that exercise and you can do it with um, your office or whatever, where you sit and you're like, okay, I do not like this. I do not like this. And I'm tired of this. And I want this to be different. And then you sit back and you listen and it's like, oh yeah, I could do a better job. And I don't appreciate, I don't, you know, appreciate this about you. I take it for granted. And so there really is this like, intimate relationship that we do have with the space we occupy. Like it holds 
all the stories and the memories of our life. Yeah. And, and that slowing down and garnering awareness, again, just like medicine and other aspects of our health is that we can ignore the niggling little, oh, this is a problem. This is a problem in the um, course of our busy lives. You know, we might rush past that corner that never seems to get dusted and is full of dust bunnies and dead air. We might always crash on the couch at the end of the day and then wish that the coffee table was that much closer with my book. (laughs) But in the moment of exhaustion, we're not going to take the time to change it. But when we, and I do, because I do want to circle back around to the work with epigenetics and neuroscience, those instances of frustration and why didn't I do that? They start to imprint and they start to multiply within ourselves and within our discomfort and our stress cycle every day, every time. Yeah, it's true. It's truth. It's like, it's like we have this mental real estate, right? Mm -hmm. We have our internal home and we have our external home. And, um, when we ignore things in our home, they're still taking up space here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we address it in our home, then it no longer occupies space up here. Yeah. So in that occupying space up there, how does that then play into epigenetics and the neuroscience of what's going on in our brain while it's taking up that space? I know we touched on it a little bit at the beginning, but I'd love to dive in. Yeah. yeah, I'll just speak directly to it. So epigenetics, which I can't mention epigenetics without saying Bruce Lipton's name, because he's just, he's what I consider the godfather of epigenetics. And I just adore his work and I'm so grateful. And he's so much fun to listen to. He's a really captivating speaker. Mm -hmm. And so basically epigenetics is the study of how our environment informs outcome. And so he's a cellular biologist and he studied cells in Petri dishes and how the exact same uh, cells have different outcomes based on the environment of the Petri dish. And so this is what started this whole concept of holistic ID for me and how our homes and our internal environment, the external environment of our home and the internal environment of our minds communicate and Mm -hmm. how we can we can design our physical space. And when I say design, it's more like curate, right? Because we don't have to go buy new things. We, how we curate our living space to speak to the outcomes that we want. Um, and then that relates also to, you know, this, there's a lot of talk about how thoughts become things. Mm-hmm. And if we're informing, if we're using our physical environment to inform the outcome we want, And because of these feedback loops that are happening, we inform our thoughts. We can change the cycle of our thoughts and our feelings using our environment. Mm -hmm. And simple. (laughs) And I just, the the pile of, the more I have these conversations and get to record this podcast, which is such a privilege, um, the more I just see that all the things that have the biggest impact on our life are actually the simplest things. And so I have even my own self-talk in my head of like, well, this is ridiculous. Like moving my coffee table closer is not actually going to make my life less stressful. And yes, it is just like having your glass of water every couple hours is going to make your body feel more healthy and taking deep breaths. It is not some big, complicated, convoluted thing. It is as simple as if 
every time I sit down to do something that relaxes me, I am confronted with my environment that gives me a stress trigger. And then I invent some sort of conversation around in my head about how lazy I am that I'm not going to stand up and move that or how powerless I am to change this about my house or how I don't deserve to, you know, put myself first and get rid of the picture that I'm staring at while I'm trying to read my book. Then that is the epigenetic feedback of cool, I'm lazy and I'm unworthy and I just don't deserve any of this. And that informs ourselves. Yes, yes. And there's an exponential factor to that because Mm -hmm. we live in our house. So you Mm -hmm. see that coffee table, how many times a day? Do you notice that coffee table? Mm -hmm. How many times a day is that picture on the wall? Like, so that's why the, the neural grooves. That, that because of the repetitive patterns and the thoughts and because it's planted, it's cemented <laughs> within our physical space, mm-hmm. it's the easiest way I know to change those deep neural grooves is by using our environment and using our intentions mm-hmm. when we're using our environment to switch those grooves in a different direction, in a desirable direction. And it creates a little bit of this um, fine tightrope walk in a sense, because I know I started this off with my um, my idea of wanting joy and just wanting to see joy everywhere in my home. And that, and that is the feeling and value I hope to have there. But in that way, the discomfort actually becomes some of the bigger indicators of what we can do to foster that joy. Um, and it's one of our bigger teachers. How does that partner with desire in some ways? So desire and discomfort are one and the same thing. So I, I call our discomfort, our desire in disguise. And so our desire is what feels good, right? So when we have a desire, it feels good and we want to move toward it. Like we want more of it. And our desire makes us uncomfortable because I don't have it right now. I want it and I don't have it and I want it. So our discomfort and our discomfort is, is connected to our desire. If we we have a desire, we're going to have discomfort. If we have a discomfort, it's a really good indicator. It like, if you're like, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want, but I know I don't want this. And I know I don't want this. And I know I don't want that. (laughs) Great. Like, let's look, let's get curious about our discomfort Mm -hmm. because the reason why we're discomfort is because we really want something. And so if we're uncomfortable because there are a bunch of dishes in the sink and no one else is doing the dishes, okay, well, that's my discomfort. Well, what's my desire? I want a clean house, but I also want to feel supported. I don't, I want to feel like I'm a, I'm appreciated. I want to feel <laughs> like I'm not taken for granted, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's, And it makes this, to me, this makes our discomfort kind of fun and exciting because it's Uh not like we wallow and complain and be stuck in this place. It's like, okay, this is information for me. I'm getting really valuable information. What am I going to do with it? Am I just going to ignore it and not pay attention to it and just be pissed off because I'm the only one doing the chores around here? (laughs) Or am I going to be like, oh yeah, this is what I really want. Hey, family this is what I really want. And I am selfish because I want to feel good. And so we're all going to do this together, you know? So it's like, I mean, there's so many examples, but yeah. 
Well, and I think we we talk about a lot, all of these things, um, these feelings, and that's really all they are, is that they are feelings, they are symptoms, they are indicators, they are conversations from our environment that have been so vilified. And discomfort is un, it's uncomfortable. We don't want that shame, anxiety, um, any of these feelings. Better to just avoid them altogether better to, we have so many handy dandy ways to avoid them. I mean, I can go, you know, um, stream something for six hours and not think I can go online and I can get dopamine hits with thumbs up. I don't have to listen to that uncomfortable feeling and listen to what it can teach me. But the ironic thing of that is that without listening to what it has to teach you, you're actually going to have to put more effort into avoiding that sensation for longer because you didn't take the simple step of recognizing what's the thing that needs to be changed right in front of you, which might be as simple as getting rid of a photo. In this yeah, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. And if there are two things, like if something is uncomfortable to us, we can positive think our way through it, mm-hmm. which it's not going to make it go away. <laughs> um, and I lost my train of thought. Yeah. So if we're feeling uncomfortable, we can positive think our way out of it. We can stifle it. Um, but really our discomfort, our discomfort is like one of our greatest allies. It is one of our greatest um, tools that we have. and that's how we get to what we want. You know, there's two types of discomfort. There's the discomfort of, um, I don't feel good after I eat ice cream. Okay. Don't eat the ice cream. Right. (laughs) Or I don't feel good when I don't feel good in this relationship anymore. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's information. Or I really want to own my own business, but I don't think I can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a different discomfort. That's like, okay, that might be fear. That might be things that we're actually, that's our desire pushing us to jump off the cliff. That our desire, like pushing us to face our discomfort and face the dragon mm-hmm. so that we can overcome the things that we need to, so we can get our desire. Yeah. Oh, and I love how, again, going back to that launching pad, we can bring this to the epigenetics of where is that place that we center ourselves and from which we attack these big gnarly things. So, you know, we're not saying that changing the way your home looks and feels and is decorated or set up is going to help you conquer all of your fears, but it is that living expression of what you want. And isn't that going to be more supportive than um, rooting yourself in a living expression of everything you hate about your life? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's an inside out process. Like mm-hmm. we want to love who we are. Mm-hmm. And what better way to do that than to surround ourselves with the things that remind us who we really are, you know, because mm-hmm. we pick up so much stuff along the way, like yeah. that that isn't ours. It was just part of our upbringing. And so- mm-hmm. Being at home here and then reinforcing that being at home in our physical environment. Yeah. And I think about this, it's such a, it's a really big dramatic example because it does involve me moving. Um, But I, so I spoke of this, this house that was not a home. 
and it was a beautiful modern build. I, I am so grateful to have gotten it. Um, my, my brother does fix and flips in real estate and was because of him, I could have this home. But just as you said, it's, it's objects of where we came from. You know, this house was always a lot of it his and a lot of it his taste because he's the one that, you know, helped design it. And it was wonderful. And it was a really great house. It got me back into Colorado. And I'm, you know, always grateful for that. But it was never home because I am earthy and crunchy and antique and old and everything that this house wasn't. Mm. And over the course of about three years, two or three years of living there, it just kept feeling more and more discordant where I found myself actually apologizing to people when they came into my house. Oh, interesting. I was making excuses like, oh yes, yes, but this isn't me. This isn't here. And the thing is, it's not like it was an ugly house. It's an absolutely gorgeous house. It just wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. And so we moved into this 130-year-old Denver Square with chickens and raised garden beds and lots of windows for my house plants. And all of a sudden, I am earthy and crunchy and I'm surrounded <laughs> by earthy and crunchy. And now we're getting more chickens and there will be bees there next week. And it, it all starts snowballing more in the direction of myself because instead of apologizing for something that isn't me... I am embracing and just honestly basking in this gorgeous home in this gorgeous community that, you know, is perfect for me, but someone else would probably hate, but that does, that's not the part that matters. Because <laughs> it reflects you, it, it reflects your values, mm-hmm. it reflects your intentions, it reflects your desires. So like it's aligned with who you are and, you know, your quote unquote desired outcomes, what you yeah. want. Yeah. And there was nothing about an AstroTurf backyard, you know, the size of a postage stamp that was going to get me garden beds and chickens. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a really big extreme example. And we don't have to pick up and move. Maybe eventually that is a desire. That is a discomfort that you continue to sit with and, and fester with over years. But in the short term, smaller changes and smaller reflections of of yourself and your desired outcome can start to snowball, can teach you to embrace more of who you want to be and how you want to show up in this world. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in that regard, though, we have to choose to do that. So how, how how are we the biggest obstacles, really, that we have to get around? In, in terms of, in, in how, in getting the life that we desire, you know, cause it's, it's not the couch's fault. It's not the coffee table's fault. How do we end up blocking ourselves in that way? So within our, so within our home, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's having, you know, hmm, I'm trying to think where to start. So <laughs> The, the, the main place we block ourselves is right here. Like whenever heads, yeah. <laughs> something comes up, it starts with an internal obstacle. We self-sabotage. We have beliefs that we've bought into. We have certain perspectives that aren't true, but our perspective, uh, reality doesn't matter. It's our perspective that matters, <laughs> right? Yeah. And the great thing is, is our perspective can change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just taking that awareness that, okay, I feel like I'm in a bad mood or like most of the time or whatever, Mm -hmm. like awareness is what leads to change. And so really it takes taking a look at what's going on in here. Am I happy in my internal home? Do Mm -hmm. I love myself? Do I take care of myself? Do I feel at peace? Am I content? 
And then if not, then let's start looking at that. And let's start looking at your space to see Mm -hmm. how it can help support you as you're, you know, straightening up and getting clear about what's happening in here. And so um, I'm not sure if that answers the question, but it's really, and it's also very um, intention driven, you know, Mm -hmm. so like each person wants to get really clear, like, what are my values? What do I want for myself? And what's happening? What's, what are my internal obstacles and what are my external obstacles? And it doesn't just have to be in your home. It can be the external obstacles in life. I think a really important thing to do is to make ourselves accountable for everything happening in our life. (laughs) Because once we blame others or other situations, we're making ourselves powerless to it. Right. Mm -hmm. But once we take accountability for the things that we don't like, then we're more empowered. Yeah. And it becomes our responsibility to change them too. And that goes right into that space of our home. Cause like you were saying at the beginning, when we go into the library or the bank or any other public space, you know, we're not going to go running around in there changing. It's like, Oh no, your floor plan is terrible. All your waiting chairs need to be over here. You know, that's not the place to elicit change, but within our home, if we still don't have, you know, give ourselves permission to take control of that environment, that's where you really do get into that that being at the mercy of something else, of someone else in that victim mentality. Yeah, I mean, and, and within our home, it could be as simple as, mm-hmm. you know, leaving the windows open for even the winter, just for like 15 minutes a day, just to get fresh air in, um, getting fresh flowers at the store, you know, buying a plant to mm-hmm. leave in the house, like just little things that we can do that will, will help us feel better you know besides the obvious which is clutter and being organized Mm -hmm. and it's there's one thing just to to recognize is that chaos comes before creation Mm -hmm. and so if you're finding that your house is just in upheaval there's a chronic state and an acute state (laughs) and if you're in the acute state then maybe like, maybe there's something in process that's coming to form. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's in the chronic state, then that's a different story. And this is, this is also similar, like medicine language, right? Like, (laughs) but I really love this because it is, it's, it's the same thing that that acute state means there's something changing. There's something happening right now. And maybe you're getting ready to move or you're welcoming a, a new member to the household and you've purchased all of the baby or dog or cat supplies or what have you. And they're in a pile in the middle of your living room. That's like an acute state. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it hasn't yeah. found its place yet. Yeah. Or with like a child, like the, like going from, you know, sleeping in bed with you to sleeping in their own room or, you know, a teenager not wanting you to snuggle, like, you know, snuggle with them at night anymore. You know, like there's all these different transitions and our house is going to hold all of it. Our house is going to hold all of the story and it's going to um, embody it. Right, (laughs) And then to contrast that, because that would be the hope, like an acute state with medicine, that we can transition, we can move through this transition in a way that we arrive at the new state of being, where we integrate the new child into our home, or we 
allow for the space that that teenager is looking for at this stage in their life. And so now our home fits that other side of transition. The chronic chronic case comes when we do that very poorly. (laughs) It's true. And you bring up something that I want to address. um, And that is transition. Mm -hmm. So especially given the last year, people are moving through really intense transition, you know, whether it's um, the end of a career or losing a job or losing a relationship or losing a loved one. And these times of transitions um, are home. And I get like tender about this. (laughs) Our home is can be such a, like a wonderful friend and such a wonderful um, ally depending on the situation. I mean, it can be regardless, but depending on the situation, our home can really support us in in a way that um, maybe a friend or a therapist or someone else can't because it's holding us throughout our day and it's reminding us of things or it can stop reminding us of certain Mm -hmm. things. You know, so yeah. our home can actually be sort of like this confidant um, and counselor in feeding us the reminders or taking the things away that we don't want to be reminded of. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's where we go to have to have those most tender and vulnerable places. I mean, there's no place like your house to hold you in in those big feelings. Now, you're probably most of us are not going to have a fall down, ugly sob in the middle of the public park or the bank. Again, mm-hmm. getting back to that number two, the universal how we behave in this space. But mm-hmm. our home really ought to be the safe place to express these kinds of big emotions that come through big transition. Yeah, yeah. And, and if it's not or if we are stuck in a transition that might even be two or three transitions old. I mean, how many of us have those homes where we now we have teenagers, but still have all of the kids' toys taking up space in the basement that could be, I don't know, the new rec room, or never cleared off the bookshelves, or, you know, these things that we amass that no longer serve us they take up space. And, you know, in medicine, we'll call that a space occupying lesion where it's taking up space where something productive could be happening. And the same is true for our homes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I use that, I use that analogy, like clutter in our home, like what is clutter in our body? Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like plaque, like it's Mm -hmm. stuff that doesn't serve the functioning and the well-being and the thriving of the whole. And so it's, there's, it's one of my favorite metaphors and talking about home is our physical body. (laughs) I love it. And I, and to be honest, I had never thought of it quite that way myself until you brought it up, but you know, it's, it's so true that, you know, this space is meant to have its functions. It's meant to carry us through life and maybe different entities, different homes, different cities, different States and countries. But, you know, if we don't care for it in a way that continues to support us, it will take away just like these chronic illnesses and injuries within our body will as well. So that acute change versus chronic change is beautiful. And I like that, um, or chaos was your word, Um, but I like that you talk about chaos comes before creativity. So even we can even arrest a chronic stage of chaos to move it into acute, to move it into a transition that is productive. What comes on the other side of of that chaos? What's our potential there? 
Yeah. Like, what do you want to create? And the great thing is, is when we do that, we can have an intention in mind. Like I'm going to do this in my home because this is my intention. Mm -hmm. Or we can say, okay, I'm going to address my home and I'm going to make more mental space through my physical space. Mm -hmm. And I'm leaving opportunity for something fabulous to come into my life. And I don't know what it's going to be. And either way, that's a creative spark. I'm going to make room for my teenager's rec room by getting rid of things I haven't touched in 10 years, or now my teenager's in college and I don't know what's next, but I'm going to make space for it because, you know, their baby toys are really going to get in the way of any hobby or desire I might have because it is taking up that space. It's arresting me. um, It's stopping me in that place of chronic chaos and a phase of my life that I'm not in it anymore. I speak generally. I'm nowhere near. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Well, so tell us a little bit about um, where where we can get in touch with you and learn more. And you know, you're you're creating the school for individuals to learn more about this aspect of internal design. If this has sparked a creative interest for our listeners, um, tell us more about you and where we can find you. Okay, great. Yeah. So my website is holisticinteriordesign.com and it's about the duality of our internal and external space. Um, I'm starting a school. It'll be open um, the beginning of June and it's going to be for individuals who want to learn this information. It's, it's part um, like coaching for Mm -hmm. sure. And it integrates the epigenetics, the neuroscience, the desire and the design. So it's Mm -hmm. this whole system. And it's also really um, geared toward like coaches and holistic practitioners, wellness practitioners who want to integrate this philosophy and this system um, along with their own practice. So it's, I find it's really versatile and I just, I want to share it because I think it can really help make a difference in people's lives. Well, I love that you essentially had to create this um, way of seeing and doing for yourself based out of your different experiences and where you've cobbled together and you've really brought it together for anyone else who wants to learn so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel as well. Thanks. (laughs) It's been a blast. Like I just, I love it. That's beautiful. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much for bringing your um, unique and just deeply felt approach to wellness and home and how we can nurture the space around us. Um, I think this has been such a fun conversation and I'm going to go home and just kind of give another little scan over my space. For having me, Carly. It's been a delight as, as always. <laughs> thank you. And thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and have a little something to take home with you. Thank you for joining us in the Healing Ground Movement. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.